When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey guys, I'm Sai, and welcome to Ace Podcast Nation. On the channel, we have podcast series, interviews, and content on literally every subject you can think of. We've got a live football show every Monday with former Premier League and Championship striker, Mr. Andy Campbell, Cardiff City legend, obviously. Uh, Monday, 7.30, live on Facebook and YouTube. And uh, we have a weekly MMA show, which is going to be uh, rebranded as The Fight Show uh, very soon because we've started covering more boxing recently. Uh, that's with former Cage Warrior champion and uh, UK MMA legend, Mr. Danny Batten, providing uh, all the analysis and breakdowns. Plus, we do shows or series on mental health, films, TV, conspiracy theories, music, including a, a recent live performance from up-and-coming band The the Crooks, as well as an interview with uh, Shed Seven's lead singer, Rick Witter. We have a very, very popular series called Unscripted and Uncensored, which is uh, is unique to all our other shows and uh, most, most other people's shows as well, to be honest, because all the talking points uh, for me and my guest are uh, set by the people, the listeners, the viewers. We, I do no questions, no research, and the people send in whatever they want us to talk about. Always, always uncensored and always, always interesting and funny because it can go off on wild tangents. Previous guests for that series include uh, UFC stars, Brett Johns, Jack Shaw, Modestus Bukakakash, uh, Cage Warriors fighters Oban Elliott, Paddy Pimblett, Tom Mearns, actor Johnny Owen, uh, Welsh boxers Gavin Gwynn and Cody Davis, Rodri Giggs, and uh, a couple of others. It's always fun. Uh, it always goes off the rails. And uh, so keep an eye on our social media channels and look out for the posts which ask for questions or talking points on unscripted and uncensored, because that is uh, where the discussion and the questions are entirely up to you, the people. But today is uh, episode number three in our new series, My Story. In this story, I take my guests through their life, their career, and more as they share memories and anecdotes from their whole life, their careers, anything you could think of, really, anything which comes up in the conversation. Uh, it's been very well received. The first episode was with uh, controversial, charismatic former England cricketer Chris Lewis, as we talked about his upbringing, his career, his stint in prison and more. Uh, episode two, I was joined by former Wales, Arsenal and Cardiff City defender, Reese Weston, as we discussed his career, and plus a whole lot more, including his uh, his disappointing and uh, what's the word, uh, niggly exit from Cardiff City. Uh, he gave his full and frank opinions and views on that, and uh, Dave Jones, which was uh, very interesting to hear. Uh, these shows, all our other shows, can be found in video format at YouTube.com/slash Ace Podcast Nation. Please subscribe and click the bell as then you'll be notified before we go live or before we upload new content uh, every single day or every single time, three or four times a week. Uh, this is also the best way to support the channel 
as we uh, endeavor towards the thousand subscribers on YouTube, which is uh, proving a bit harder than the 9,000 we got on uh, Facebook and uh, other sites. You can also find every single show that we do in audio format at the usual podcast and radio apps and platforms iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, and many, many more. Too many, too many to listen. Uh, that's the plugs for the time being. So let's focus on uh, my absolute legend of a guest as we begin my story, episode three, and take former WBO bantamweight world champion and IBF interim flyweight champion, Welsh boxing icon, Mr. Robbie Regan, through his life and career. Welcome, my friend. How are you? Thank you, Simon. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Thank you. Good, thank you. Good man, good man. This, uh, yeah, it's a long intro there, but I th- figure I get all the plugs out of the way and then we can focus all on you and uh, your incredible career. You've got an incredible story. You know, just everything together is so interesting. And um, like the response since I announced that you were coming on was just incredible to me like more than any other guest i've had just um the amount straight away the amount of new followers the amount of messages some of the messages weren't even like questions they were just robbie regan is a is a top guy top boxer absolute legend and just stuff like that but other people say questions you are clearly a very very popular gentleman and uh, you're a very loved gentleman. Just you could tell just by the response. And even before that, before we'd like before I sort of officially announced you and I briefly spoke to you, I had people after we had Cody Davis and Gavin Gwynn on and some of the UFC guys from Wales. They were like, "Oh, get Robbie Regan on. He'd be a great, great interview, great show." So people were asking for you before uh, before me and you had even spoken. That must be a unique feeling. You know, all, all these years after you've replied, uh, sorry, retired, to yeah. to to feel that love from people. Yeah, and, you know, it was fantastic, and you know, it made the world achieve, made the worst way. You know, people don't forget, and uh, the massive sport they had when I was boxing, and you know, a lot of them are still there now and supporting me today, and it's quite amazing. Yeah, it is. Uh, it's- the Wales Wales combat sports fans I've noticed particularly as I've got older like obviously when you were boxing I was relatively young I was quite young but like where I follow combat sports MMA and boxing now when you see the Welsh boys fighting thousands travel everywhere wherever the fights are I know Jack Shaw fought in the UFC in Copenhagen there was thousands of, of Welsh fans same with Gavin Gwynn and Cody Davis when they're fighting in you know London or America just thousands of Welsh fans um, I'm assuming that was the same in your days just the Welsh fans followed you everywhere Yeah it's quite amazing but uh, I, you know, I had such a big support I had uh, my bike at home you know I didn't have to travel to fight guys and fight the titles in other people's backyards and countries, you know, I could get I get them traveling to every country over here, and that's because of the sport I had. Yeah, absolutely. So, what I like to do with these is um, basically I will start off. We'll ask, like, you could tell us a bit about like you growing up, um, you know, in the start of your life, and then we'll take you through everything, and then right at the end of the show, then I'll uh, we'll go through the the questions which people have sent in 
to finish off the show. Um, so, yeah, just to, for maybe people who are not familiar with you um, and just to start us off, to get a feel for you, really, tell us a bit about, um, you know, like you growing up and where you grew up and stuff like that. Right. From Ken first, yeah, I'm a lot of people think I'm a Blackfoot boy or a phones and playstations and things like that, you know, we, we had to make our own fun, you know, it, it was hard back in them days, but, uh, you know, we was happy, you know. Yeah, and that's very straight because I I assumed also that you were a, a Blackwood boy. Um, so, yeah, that's obviously a common uh, misconception. Um, how old were you when you first kind of started boxing? Like 15, I was. Um, I got all these men to part with also my coach and trainer, one of my coaches and trainers. And he was big friends with Guy Gardner, and Guy came on the all day with us. And my name and brother talked about going to the gym when we go back. And we went to the boxing gym, and my brother maybe went twice. But he, my brother, sports, you know, from, from first time I ever walked in the gym. I do. So did you... Yeah, I mean, before that, did you have any interest in boxing, like watching it and things like that? I never, I wasn't interested in any sport, you know, no sport at all, really. Um, I was into music and, yeah, but soon they walked into the boxing gym, it's a bad, I just fell in love from day one. Well, uh, what sort of music were you into back, back in the day then? Everything really, you know, from ska to rock, but uh, rock music is, is my main my main music, you know, from Led Zeppelin, Black Sabbath, ACDC, Motorhead, I, I like it all. All the legends, all the legends, yeah. So, um, so there you are, you're 50, you've gone in the gym for the first time, like you say, you fall in love with it. What, um, what sort of boxers were on top in the world at that time? Well, it was like, you know, my heroes was like Marvin Adler, Sugar Ray's, um, Julio Cesar Chavez, and obviously the greatest Ali. Well, he's at the end of his career then, but, you know, I just look back at his old, you know, his, his older fights, you know, and I go without doubt, he was the greatest man inside and outside boxing, you know. Yeah, there's there's real, real legendary boxers there for you to, you know, to aspire to be when you, a young kid, looking to, you know, get into boxing. There's some names to uh, to aspire to. Um, So you started 15. How how long was it from there where you started to take fights at like an amateur level? Um. I usually basically within the first six months I, I started I had my first fight, you know, I think I I think I fought Welsh champion in my first fight. Wow. Yeah, well there wasn't too many boys around with my weight, you know, I was like I was like fifteen and we six and a half stones, so there weren't many boys around with my weight. So were you a natural? Like when you first started, were you just naturally good at it, or did you have to really work at it in those early days? 
to to get to you know to a level where you could turn pro and stuff like that. They didn't have to a lot, you know. You you still got to work with everything. Um, yeah, you know, even I just lived in the gym and it just everything I done just just come naturally. And Guy Garner was obviously my trainer from amateur to professional. You know, he showed a big interest in me from the first couple of times I walked in the gym. You know, he spent a lot of time with me, so I think he knew that I had what he was looking for. Yeah. So, like, obviously these days, uh, you know, professional fighters, they've got nutritionists and these big teams with various different things to help them, you know, make weight and things like that. Was it, did you have that sort of thing back in your day, helping you, you know, to get them weight and stuff? Or was it literally kind of you and Di Gardner and a couple of others and that's it? Well, in the early days, in the early fights, you know, you, you'd, you'd work out the date and then all that stuff, nutrition come in, you know, halfway through my career and I, I, I did use them. And yeah, I, I think it did help me to make the weight I needed to be. Yeah, I am. Um, so you, how old were you when you turned pro? Twenty-one. So from, so you had from fifteen to twenty-one having a, a amateur fights. How many? Do you, do you know how many amateur fights you had in that time altogether? Probably, probably not even thirty fights, but most of my fights because it wasn't was my weight was. No, usually um, internationals or the first time I boxed for Wales, I was in the Commonwealth Games when I was 17. That's the first time I ever fought for Wales was in the Games. Do you, um, do you remember that first, the first time you got invited to box for Wales? Like the feeling and how that felt to represent your country? Yeah, it was quite amazing. Well, I actually wasn't picked for the Commonwealth Games and... I was sort of like a reserve, so I, I wasn't picked, so I didn't put call on all day, so I didn't get picked for the games. And then all of a sudden, I had the chance to go, and there were two guys from the Welsh ABA come down and got me. You know, I'd, I'd been drinking for most of the week, because I was on all day. I didn't think I'd go the game. And then he come and got me. And it was like, <laughs> country is his, you know, like when he's that age, um... It's not much about you and then to go and represent the country, you know, as, as, when he dreams as a fighter. So, where was where was the Commonwealth Games then? Um, I wouldn't say unfortunately, but I didn't have far to travel. It was in Edinburgh. All oh, right, okay. Ninety six. Okay, so um, so nineteen eighty six. You're uh, 17, fighting for Wales in the Commonwealth Games. That's uh, you know, that's where every uh, every person wants to be in their in their competitive sport is representing their country. Um, how did the Commonwealth Games go? It good. I, you know, I loved it. Um, when I got to the games, you know, I thought if I didn't draw some of the favourites for the title, you know, I could get myself a bit fitter because I said I'd been going all um, mm-hmm. I didn't draw one of the favourites and medals in the way for the I'll chance to medal myself but the first draw first guy was Mark Epstein and he was favourite for the gold and he's three, three times British AVA senior champion oh, like a, boy, a boy fighting a man he was you know being yeah. back then didn't have to turn professional he was well looked after 
and they were like like you said it was like a man fighting a boy but you know it was good experience for me and and it, it'll be in future fights must have helped you like prepare for the you know for future fights going on that experience every fight especially at that level and boxing boys with that experience is good experience for yourself yeah i find um like my boys played like academy football um on and off like over the last couple of years and um when the younger one who's 11 when he plays against older kids i do find that when he goes back down to his age group the following week, that it makes a big difference because he's been, you know, he's been playing against bigger, stronger, more experienced lads, more mature lads who, who you know, who approach the game differently. Yeah, absolutely. You know, like I said, it's, it's like a boy fighting a man, you know. If, um, if I could put five years on my life and unbox, you know, them sort of fighters then, you know, it would have been a different story. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so you came out of the Commonwealth Games. What was uh, what was next for Robbie Regan? Uh, when I was in the internationals, boxing against Scotland and out in Ireland, which, uh, and then I, I did start getting, you know, getting some big wins. I want to go medal in the multi-nation competition out in out in Norway. I want a silver medal out in in Stockholm, in Sweden. So I was, yeah, I was some big things. So, so you twenty what? So you had, so you were still fighting amateur at this point. Um, was you know in the like the build up to the Commonwealth Games and and afterwards, is the is your aim by this point is to be a professional boxer no matter what? Yeah, that's, that's like there was no other options. Well, I was guys gym was a professional gym, and I get I always part of a professional. I was professional style. That's why you know um, it really don't have to was an amateur really. You know, training with pros because they obviously box longer fights, so they they pace themselves better. But you know, a three round amateur fight is all you know is over pretty quick. So you you gotta use a lot of speed and which is different from yeah. I was pro style and a pro game would suit me better and I'd be a better professional amateur. Yeah, so um so age twenty one you uh, you you turned pro. Do you know um how many fights you lost and won? Like do you know where your amateur record was? Um it was probably like probably one about twenty one fights and probably lost eight and most most of them was early in my career. It's impressive, isn't it? When you think, you know, like you said, like the Commonwealth Games, you fought the guy who was really experienced compared to you, and you know, you were still a young boy, really, at that point. Um, so you've turned. A lot of say again, sorry, man. You know, I mean, like two hundred people in you know. Yeah, yeah. So, so a lot of experience, really. I mean, so yeah. When you compare it, like you say, if, usually amateurs will have that many fights, and you you only had thirty yard. It's not uh, it's not the same as it? it's not the same amount at all. Um, so age twenty one, you've turned pro. Would you um, were you nervous at all, like when you first turned pro, or did you just feel like this is the natural progression and I'm gonna go for it? Yeah, I was nervous. I was nervous. 
go go all the way sort of thing. Natural progression, but like you know, before any fight, you're nervous. You're not 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 nervous because of your opponent. You're nervous because you want to win. You know. Yeah. You know, it's a lot of pressure on it. Yeah, I suppose it's like a like a nervous excitement, isn't it? You kind of itching to get going. Um, how did you used to deal with those like the the pre-fight nerves? Do you have any special like rituals or anything you used to do in particular? No, no, I, I was at you know facing what I could do with my own ability. I didn't need any good luck charms or anything like that. You know? No, no super, no, no superstitions, nothing like that. You see uh, some of this. Yeah, you see um, some fighters, they got to like kiss both gloves and they got to do this and they got to stretch in a certain way. But uh, no, back your ability. Um, so do you used to like use use music when you were training or when you were like in the build up to a fight? I always, always train the music in the gym, you know, get you going and, uh, you know, and yeah, it's always, I think it's great to train in music. Yeah, yeah, and was there like a particular song which you like to listen to before before you'd fight? Um, no, I just listen to a few just stuff that I've always, always been into, you know, and it always gets me going, so it was exciting, you know, you listen to the bands and your favourite songs. In the, change, in the change room before you go out to fight and you can hear the crowd roaring before you go out. It's, it's a buzz, you know, you can, you can only have by walking into the ring. Yeah, absolutely, mate. Um, so, I'd imagine it's like a, a a kind of... You can't match that feeling. Do you know what I mean? Like, it can't be repl- replicated. You can you can try and imagine it. For, like, I can try and imagine it. I've never, never done it or never had it. But, but I, but I, you know, really, I don't know. I don't understand it. Um, so, I'm always, I'm always, gone. So I'm such an eye, and um, I remember fighting on the Nigel Ben and the card up in London, and all my fans above the dressing room. You could hear them above the dressing room in, in the seats, and he was all screaming my name. I was in the same dressing room as Nigel, and he was going out before me. And um, mm-hmm. he turned around and said, he said, Robbie, I ain't going out yet. They all wanted to all scream and be out. <laughs> I like it. I love it, in fact. Um, so, do you remember much about your first professional fight? Yeah. Um, well, I don't, don't remember too much about it. I remember I thought, well, I knew I'd won the fight. And the referee gave a draw. And I asked. And I asked, I went up to the referee and asked him what kind of decision is that. And the referee turned around and said to me, Why well, you always box him again? You know, to me, that is an oral answer. No. I won the fight. And I knew I won the fight. Yeah, that must. Yeah, that, that must have been frustrating. I'm always, I've got like a list of your fights up. On uh, it's I'm always a bit of relaxing because it's Wikipedia, so you never know if it's if it's you know completely correct. So it's got you, got your first fight down as a draw versus Eric George, uh, in 19th of August 1989 in Splot Market, Cardiff. Is that right? Yeah, correct. Yeah, actually, Lennox Lewis, because I 
I got friends with Lennox in the Commonwealth Games and he was doing promotion down here because he, he joined Skype professional and he came to watch me box. Wow, that's that's unbelievable. When you, you know, two two fantastic boxers there, two legends. Um, so that was August 89. Um, you then fought next in the March of 1990. This time you went across the Seven Bridge and uh, fought in York Hall, which is obviously a historic uh, boxing venue. Um, and you picked up a win against uh, Francis Ampofo. Um, so, like, I obviously I'm not going to take you through every single fight, but um, looking at your fights and your results, it seems like you got a lot of momentum quite quickly, and um, you ended up fight, fighting Francis um, quite a f- three times. Same the boxing, yeah. So the first fight you fought him in sixth of March, nineteen ninety, in your call, which you won, um, and then you. Francis Bethnal Green, so he could beat him in his hometown. <laughs> yeah, well, Bethnal, uh, York Hall and Bethnal Green is so historic for boxing and for everything. Obviously, Bethnal Green's very famous for the, you know, for the craze and and everything like that, as as well as boxing. But I mean, as a purely boxing venue, that's a very special venue. So that must have been in itself, you know, like a, a beautiful place to box in just your second professional fight yeah you know um, it's one of the most famous famous boxing venues in the world I think and um, you know if you're in boxing in England it's in your court you want to box and you know you imagine what a place is going to be like when going up there and uh, it's, it's, it's not quite the place I thought it'd be you know it's, it's not modern it's very old school to, to put it lightly <laughs> you want to I mean, I have to walk yeah. around the Swimming pool to get into the into the arena at the box. <laughs> <laughs> did you? Walk around the pool. <laughs> did you have to? Oh, did you take many Welsh fans up with you that that first time you fought outside of Wales? Not, no, not really, not, no, not many. Um, you know, you gotta, you gotta start to make a name for yourself and to get. People to follow you and start knowing your name, and obviously, yeah, you know, following you there. Yeah, so so you beat Francis um, in the March. Then, oh, I was going to say, literally a month later, you fought again, which wouldn't happen these days. Uh, you fought in Merthyr and you beat uh, Kevin Downer by TKO. Um, and then you had uh, another draw against Dave McNally. Then you had another win and another draw um, against Michelle. I can't pronounce his surname. Uh, Podehi, po po maybe. Um, I apologise to. I apologise to him. Um, but uh, so you had three. So you had uh, in your first six fights, you had three wins and three draws, which yeah. is is quite unusual, isn't it, to have that many draws. Um, very unusual. Um, remember boxing Dave McNally and the commentators um, who was commentating for Matchroom and he, I was fighting the Matchroom boy. Right through the fight, he said, oh, he, they won the fight. And when the driver referee had given it a draw at the end, he said, good decision, because we were both unbeaten. 
but I was boxing a matchroom boy, and they were matchroom commentators. They, they, they said, oh, easy, I won the fight. And the third draw was out in the tree. So I sort of get a draw up there, you know, you, you've got to more than be done. And you know, you know, to get a draw. But I, I remember I, I, I dropped Podigree in the first round, and the promoter, he wanted to give up, he walked back to the corner. And the promoter no. of the show up, got up by the ring and pushed him back out. Said, Never. Yeah, up, you said, Funny. That's mad, that isn't it? But like, yeah, I mean, especially back in was it that was nineteen ninety in the December nineteen ninety. Back in them days, even more so, I think, than now. When you go to another country and fight like the home home country hero, you've got to, like you say, you got to you got to win and more to get that decision if it goes to points. Well, to kill them to get a draw. Yeah, you're right. Um, I mean, Podigy was the only fighter that I deal with that they actually um, would give me a what I had a return fight with. And, and I beat him easy and when I drew with him and I did it in a rematch, even though I won the rematch. <laughs> yeah, strange how that is. It's, it's, it's one of my bugbears, unfortunately, for, for MMA and boxing is, is the judging. I do wish that they would be more consistent and and... And just generally better. Sometimes you just get these weird and dreadful decisions, and it spoils it. It does spoil it. Well, I've seen some of these crazy decisions, and the difference between some judges' scorecards. I mean, some of these judges should never be judging fights. You know, and after judging some fights, the you know the the scorecards they get. You know, they should never. These are elections taken off, and should never judge again. Well, well, I never understand why they don't have more ex-fighters and trainers uh, doing the judging. I, I've never understood it why they don't uh, go, don't go down that route. Because you know these are the people who are not only the lifeblood of the sport, but they're also the most knowledgeable. Um, so they naturally would be the best for judging it. Absolutely. I mean, some of these judges have never boxed or are they? Well, I didn't know anything about the game until they started judging. Yes, it's disappointing. So, so after the prodigy fight, you uh, you beat uh, Kevin Jenkins in February '91, Joe Kelly in May '91. Then you were re you had a rematch with Francis and Poffo, uh, this time in the National Sports Centre in Cardiff. Um, which was for the oh, sorry, I do apologise when you when you beat Joe Kelly. Uh, in the 28th of May 1991, you won the vacant British type, uh, British flyweight title. Um, and just when you fought Kevin Jenkins in the February, you won the vacant Welsh area flyweight title. Um, so in the, the February and the May of 91, you picked up your first, uh, your first professional gold um, in first titles. Was um, That must have been a huge moment for you. Personally, yeah, you know, to be um, one of the worst players, I was the champion in your own country, you know, it's a, it's a really proud, very proud moment. Um, I mean, that fight was voted um, undercard fight of the year from Sky out of all the undercard fights of, of every show, you know, that was voted the best fight of the year. Wow, yeah, it was quite and then, and then you beat Joe Kelly uh, on points at the National Sports Centre in Cardiff again to win the, the British Flyway title. 
so you know back to back you won two you won the Welsh title and then you won the British flyweight title um both in Cardiff as well so obviously you would you did it in your in your home country um you must have felt on a real you know a real high at that point to to win back to back titles yeah, like I said, very, very honoured to um to win the, the, the to be our champion in his own country and then to win the British title and just made strike. Even Joe Kelly, who was who was favourite actually in the in one of the boxing made him made him quite a big favourite. Uh, yeah, and then of course you had like I mentioned just now, you had the you had the rematch with Francis and Poffo. Um, which he won via TKO. Uh, that was also in Cardiff, which was that was for the British flyweight title, uh, which you obviously you lost that to Francis there in the September of '91. Was that difficult because that was your first professional loss? Obviously, it was in your home country, and you lost the British title. Was that difficult to deal with? Like, I don't count that as a loss because you know I was like. Eight rounds up, that was the eleventh round, and you know, and it was well. They, they said Ed clashes, but I, I felt that Francis Ed butted me three, four, five times in the one in the eleventh round. Yeah, and, you know, to wake up, to wake up without your long distances in your life. You know, it's a hard pill to swallow. Yeah, I can imagine because you you must have felt like. Um... Like you, you weren't beaten by the better man then on that night. If you're, you know, you were up on points, and you know, via eight rounds, by eight rounds is a lot. And then, obviously, to lose it via a TKO, which you know, not from a from a punch, but from headbutts, that must have been quite difficult to deal with. Yeah, yeah, you know, but I, I, I blame the referee for that, Mickey Van. You know, he should have disqualified Francis. I mean, the crowd went crazy down there. Yeah, I can imagine. Plus, of glasses coming in the ring. But Marion calmed it down because he's a front of the show. And to calm the crowd down, he, he, he told him that I will have a me- an immediate rematch. He was good to his work. Yeah, I was going to say, some of your fights, your early fights, were really quite close together. You know, in this day and age, fighters tend to fight maybe once or twice a year. Um, you know, even with that one, you lost the British flyweight title on the third of September, and but you fought again in the in the December twelfth of December um, in the National Ice Rink of Cardiff. So I'm assuming that was a bigger venue for the for the rematch because I'm assuming it was quite a hyped up rematch then. Yeah, well, I value and who was Moto France's manager as well as his promoter. Um, he decides when the fight goes ahead and where. Um, so we decided it in December, which was quite early because I had to, you know, I wanted my eye to be fully recovered and healed. But I, I think it was maybe a little bit that um, they were open, my eyes open back up. But uh, yeah, they monster such a good job on my eye, and I've had trouble with it again. That's the only cut I ever suffered. Yeah, and you beat him. Uh, you beat him over twelve rounds on points to regain the British flyweight title, which must have been. Um, you must have felt really vindicated with that because, like you say, it was a bit of pill to swallow the way you lost it. Um, so to come back a couple of months later and maybe they were, you know, not 
I don't want to say they weren't giving you enough time to recover, but they were at least hoping that your eye was going to be an issue. Um, so for, for you to, to outbox him over 12 rounds must have been extremely satisfying for you, mate. Very satisfying. Um, uh, it, was, it, was, it was one of my sweetest victories, you know, to get along to the back and put on such a display as I did. But uh, John Coyle, the referee, who have refereed thousands of world type fights, European and British type fights, he said to me, I was in the top three boxing exhibitions I have ever refereed of all time. So that, you know, that was quite an accolade and a great honour for John to say that to me. Yeah, that must have been that's uh, that is some acc- accolade, isn't it? Because he would have referee, you know, over his career, he'd have refereed thousands, probably of fights, um, and and some very big ones as as well. Coming from a star referee, John, like I said, John Coy refereed so many huge names in boxing. You know, simple, simple comments that I, you know, it's a of an accolade and a very privileged to be told that. Mm, indeed. Um, so you defended. Uh, no, I tell a lie. You uh, you fought uh, Juan Batista Blanco and you knocked him out within two rounds. Um, according to Wikipedia, that was your first uh, professional knockout, um, and obviously it was within two rounds. Were you um, were you very comf- uh, confident going into that fight after the exhibition that you'd put on in the previous fight? Yeah, yeah, you know, um, I felt I, I on the night after, you know, I, I'd like to take the title again, but um, uh, with, with an opponent, I, I was due to fight, I think he pulled out, so he brought in an 80 placement, so he wasn't for the title, and he brought in a, a Mexican, and it was a long, you know, a long way to travel for one round, you know, and optimum for the first round. <laughs> so then uh, the next fight is interesting to me because um, it's a name which uh, I'm sure people will be familiar with, familiar with which was um, you beat James Drummond in the, the ninth round by a TKO uh, at the ice rink in Cardiff again to retain the British flyweight title um, obviously James Drummond people will be familiar with the name um, as a you know as a boxer um, do you remember much about that one? Just come at the fight before he fought the European title against Salvatore Fani out in Italy, and he and he's robbed the European title. So he come back and he fought me for the British title. You know, it was just you know, and he come down, and you know, he didn't come to lose; he come to win. And I put on a master class of boxing and body punching. And he hit him around the body for before before he folded, you know. Yeah, I mean you were you were you were notorious for your uh you know, for your body punching and your just your natural technical ability. Um and this is one of those fights where well that the the Francis the two Francis fights, you was you seem as if you were really coming into your own and showing the world what you were capable of, um, both, you know, technically, but obviously you had uh, TKO'd Francis and uh, so you'd KO'd the the Mexican lad, you TKO'd James Drummond, so you also 
you know, just showing that you had the power to end fights as well as outbox people for, you know, for 12 rounds. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, I'm, I'm changing the tall flyweight. You know, he's five for ten, very tall and strong flyweight. So it's, it's, a, it's a big win for me. And in that fight, I also won the laundry belt outright. Well, yeah, I mean, it seems like you were just at this point, you know, collecting wins, collecting titles, um, and building a real, really, really big reputation for yourself. Um, like you said, uh, James Drummond had been robbed by Salvatore Fanny for the European title out in Italy, which was your next fight where you fought uh, again in Cardiff. Um, and you beat him by unanimous decision within over 12 rounds um, to win the European title. So it's a, another another title for you. Um, was that was that satisfying? Knowing knowing that James Drummond had been effectively you know screwed over. Yeah, well, um, you know, styles make fights. You both different style fighters. You know, you know, I I think. You, I haven't seen the fight, but that's what I heard that James won the fight. Um, but Salvatore was also a, a good champion, you know, he had a lot of defences. Um, and, and he stopped a lot of boys, knocked off a lot of boys, so, you know, he was a proven champion. And it was a great fight with me and him when he came over. Um, but I, I won the fight, but it was, it was you know, it was to take it off a good champion, you know, it was an extra bout. Yeah, and I think um, if I remember correctly, you'll have to excuse me because obviously this was a bit before, a little bit before my time, so I'm not as familiar with some of the fighters. But I know uh, Salvatore Fanny was notorious for his, def- his defense and the way he boxed, which obviously would have made it. You know, you had to be on top, tip-top form to to beat someone like that. Very experienced boy, very experienced champion. You know, you know every trick in the book. You know, and he's very difficult to beat. But, you know, I, like I said, I am going to be comfortable, and I won the unanimous decision. Yeah, absolutely. So, so at this point, you were the British champion, European champion. Um, next, you would be going up to uh, to London again to fight uh, Adrian Okocha, uh, who you beat on points over ten rounds. Um, and then you would have your rematch with uh, Michelle Poggi, uh, which again you won, uh, won over points and uh, in the national ice rink. How did you feel that the the rematch went with Poggi? Oh well, 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 fight. You know, um, the referee didn't have to do pick any more rounds up. At the end of the fight, Michelle picked me up. You know, he knew he'd, he'd been well beaten. But like I said, I, I felt I felt like I became Asian in the first fight with a give a draw. Yeah. And you know, and before you mentioned Adrian Ochoa, that was, that was um, a ten round on Nigel Benner and the card, which is what he is what he won much my world title fight. And Adrian Ochoa was actually an Argentinian champion who just beaten the number one in the world. So he's a tough, tough, good man, you know. And there's a big win on my record at the time. Yeah, I was going to say like. To the, these uh, these caliber of boxers, you know, there were no no slouches who you're fighting, um, and you were out, you know, you're outboxing them, or you. It seems like you were either outboxing them over, you know, ten or twelve rounds, or you were stopping them 
you know, in two or three. Well, yeah, styles make fights, you know. You box a fight, then fight a boxer. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Do you, um, you know, it's 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 ninety ninety four at this point, um, or well, ninety three ninety four. Um, obviously, your reputation is is uh, as big as it's been at this point. You've got a reputation as one of the best, you know, technical boxers um, in the world, I would imagine, or certainly in Europe, being uh, the European champion. Um, did you have, you know, at this point, uh, after the Ochoa fight and the, the Podigy fight, were you, you know, eyeing up those world titles already before you even got there? I was lined up to fight five world champions. And none of them fights materialized. Um, uh, I think a fight that you have missed out was against Danny Porter. Mm. And I beat five. I used the title against him. And Porter was uh, well high up in the ranking. And I destroyed him in three rounds. Yeah. I expect that to be a tough, tough fight for you because he's a good fighter, Danny Porter. And to blow him away in three rounds. And like I said, I had five world title fights lined up. And all these champions pulled out or made some excuse not to fight me. But I think that's after they watched the Danny Porter fight, to be honest with you, or knew about the Danny Porter fight. Yeah, well, just because of the way you dominated him and, and put put him away in three rounds. Yeah, he just blew him away. He, he, I think everybody was shocked the way how comfortable I beat him. So... As a you know, as a young man who's got he's built this this awesome reputation as a as a exceptional boxer. But then when you've had five fights, uh kind of fall through for the world title, have you ever thought at any point, oh, this is just not gonna happen for me? You know, I maybe I'm just not destined to be the world champion, not be for any uh reason to do with your ability, just that maybe it's just not to be because the, the, the world champions don't want to fight you. Well, like I said, you have four or five world champions put, put out. You know, it is, it is heartbreaking, but, you know, I, I got myself in one of the governing bodies to number one contender, so I knew I would have my shots, you know. And one day, my shot will come. They've got defend once you against the Mandy Challenger, so I, I knew my time was coming. Yeah, I was just looking now. So from... The Francis Mpofo rematch uh, in December of 91, where you went on points and won your British title back, you then went unbeaten all the way until June 95, which is quite exceptional when you think that, trying to think how many fights, are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, eleven fights unbeaten. Is some some uh, some achievement in itself. Um, yeah, when the class of boys I boxed, you know, none of them were bums, you know, these all good fighters or, or champions. Was that by choice, or was it just the, the boxing? Like, well, I don't mean by choice, but I mean, is like, was box, the standard of boxing just very, very good, or did you prefer to, to go against, you know, proper fighters? It would yeah, give you a yeah, challenge. I, I, I never want to fight anybody who, who, who I would get criticised for. You know, I, I, you know, or I had to have proved themselves before before 
I'd want to fight them, you know. I wanted to be a good caliber fighter. Yeah. Um, so, so you beat Poji uh, on points um, January night four. Then you've gone on to face uh, Mar- Marcio uh, Bernal, uh, who you also beat on points over eight rounds. Um, and then you fought uh, Sean Newman in Cardiff in October '94, um, and it was another quick TKO. Yeah, um, I was a bit disappointed that fight uh, because, to be honest, that's one of the fighters. Like I said, I don't want one any any easy touches. I, I think I don't think Sean Newman is any anymore. Um, the boxing board control, he feels. Uh, I mean, this, this guy then who's Italian champion said he wasn't good enough. And for them, and then the sanction of fight against Sean Oman, I, I didn't agree with that. He should never have been in the money. But it, it was, that was down to promoter, you know. Yeah. Um, that, and I mean, that, that must give his own set of, um, you know, like issues or motivations or whatever. You know, if you feel like. Um, your opponent's not up to your standard. You still, you know, in any uh, fight, boxing, MMA, whatever it may be, everyone's got a puncher's chance, haven't they? So if you're fighting someone who you'd even if even though you don't feel that he's up to, you know, he's up to your level in terms of ability, you've got to make sure that you're mentally prepared and focused to make sure he doesn't catch you with that kind of one in a million shot. Absolutely, you know, um, no matter who I'm fighting or, or what his record is like, um, I'll train as hard for everyone. You know, I think hard for everyone, like, whoever it was. Yeah, so uh, then, so that was in the October, and then literally a month later, you fought uh, Luigi Campotoraro, sorry, um, with who you beat on a split decision uh, over 12 rounds um, to retain your European flyweight title. Um, I'm just looking now. I can't see any other split decision in your whole career as a pro. Yeah. Luigi was a European champion. He was in the top 10. Very good, good fighter. But I don't know what I've done with him. Biggest mistake I ever made in my life. I wore brand new boots in that fight. And it right. had 30 burns on my Oh. I was treated for 30 burns. I oh. even three steps. Wait, they ease my feet. Them throwing punches is the most hard and cruelest thing I've ever gone through in my career. How on earth do you get third degree burns? It's, well, it's just crazy. Um, I also wore these. He's, they call them marathon socks inside the boot. But, you know, even at ITV come up, they filled my feet the day after the fight. That's how bad they were. Ugh. I mean, I drove down the arena. I couldn't, I couldn't drive down because of my feet. That's madness. Yesterday was, Burns is just unreal. Crazy, that is. That must have been agony trying to fight with that. Um, and then, so then, the the following June, June '95, uh, you fought for the WBO flyweight title um, against Alberto Jimenez, 
which um, unfortunately was where your your undefeated streak came to an end. Do you remember much about that fight? Yeah, I remember everything about that fight. Um, build up for that fight, um, the way I was treated, um, everything went wrong with me, and even my worst enemy um, couldn't criticize me for losing that fight. If people knew what happened and what I what I'd actually gone through and how I was treated, you know, I, I won't go into details about that now, but all that will be in my book, and that is quite quite somebody that is, and you know, very interesting. Some fighters get treated when you think the promoters and everybody looking after them, and what it what how they're actually badly treated. Yeah, and uh, and I'm guessing that. You know, in boxing and fighting, if your preparation is not, you know, especially for a for a, for a world title fight, if your preparation's not right, when you're fighting at that level, it's very difficult to, you know, to put on a performance and to perform at your, you know, highest ability. Well, it's just unbelievable what actually happened before our fight. You know, you know, about Alberto was a great champion with a lot of knockouts and an except but he's in box probably going to like he boxed his shadow so that was the, the June of 95 um, then in the December of 95 you won the IBF interim flyweight title by beating uh, Farid Ben Jeddah uh, by a KO in the second round so I'm assuming you were back to your best um, you know, by the by the December. Ben Jeddah was unbeaten with a long knockout. It's the ABF interim flyweight title. Um, you never know. Uh, I look. You never know what a fighter is because no one gets beat. But now he comes back. Yeah, absolutely. If he gets him, maybe made me more hungry because, like I said, he didn't box properly against what shadow. But he had a lot to prove. And you know, my my last two fights I, I think is my best performance, to be honest. Absolutely, mate. I mean you won the fly, the interim flyweight title, uh, versus Farid, and then uh literally five months later in ninety six, you beat Daniel Jimenez, uh via unanimous decision over twelve rounds for the uh WBO World Bantamweight title. Um, so you know you've won. I know. I know some people will say it was the it's the interim title, but you've won back to back world titles. That you know, it's that's that's the the literal epitome of everything you've trained for in all those years. Tell me what that's like when you finally did it. Well, when I did that, first when I did that, then I two weights world champion, and I went up two weights to fight Jimenez. And you know, him as a beat over here, he defended the title against good champions. And he took he took it off with, with the quality champion of the Cody, the Carmen, and he beat him over here. Um he beat a good fighter, good British champion from Scotland, Drew Doherty, in a good fight Drew to him. A close fight. Um uh, and he actually took the super bantamweight title off Duke McKenzie. So he he was a two weight world champion. And you also, well, he lost his bantamweight title to Marco Antonio, the great Marco Antonio Barrera. And Barrera, you know, he had a chin of steel and Barrera couldn't drop him. 
But I dropped him in the ass in the eighth round. I think it was like some like a fourteen second count. <laughs> so plus some I don't think I created in the So there you are. You've um you uh so you've been on this eleven fight unbeaten streak. Then you've had some issues in the build-up to your first world title fight for the flyweight title, um, and you lost. Then you've won the interim flyweight title with one of your best performances ever. Then you've gone again and gone up a couple of weights to win the bantamweight title. You're a two-weight champion. You're on top of the world. You're doing your best boxing of your career. Um, Talk to me about what happened next. Well, after that fight, I went back to him and now to make my first defense. I'm still on my ground to look at that. But he's out. WBO, you know, they're very fair with me. Let me keep the title. Um, but, well, I, I had, to, had to recover from ground for fever. And then when I, I, I got, well, got over it and started back training again, um, I had my first defense. Lined up against Hugh Dockery, and, and I played a routine brainstorm, and that was just something I never expected. And it's, it's your old world shattered, your old world falls apart. Yeah, that must have been horrific because it's not just the fact they, you know, you've discovered they discovered something on the the brain scan, but it's the fact that you've had this break you've had glandular fever which is you know is hard enough in itself and then you've got your your comeback fight lined up you're ready you're training you're prepared and then to suddenly have the the carpet you know whipped from underneath you really with no warning that must have been so difficult to deal with it was nightmare you know you train all your life to get where you are and now you've just got the money you know, you don't start making proper money to champion. And to get to where you want to be and then to have it just taken away from you is it's beyond words. I can't even put it into words how difficult and how hard it was for me. So after the brain scan, did you have to retire straight away or was there like a kind of period where you didn't know what was going to happen and what was going on? I was saying, I'm going to finish. That day, I, I, I go up to Ali Street in London. It was the same result on my brain, which will never affect me. But obviously, they wouldn't give me a license. You know, it'll never affect my day to day life. But so. But uh, obviously. Board control couldn't give me a license because if anything did happen in the ring, they'd be liable. Yeah, of course. There's, it's it's a it's a difficult one, I'm sure, for you because, like you say, it, it won't affect you, yet today. But from their point of view, you know, they've got to, you know, rightly got to protect their fighters and got to. They want to do everything they possibly can to ensure. The fighters don't have any, you know, complications or anything if because they're getting punched in the body, in the head. Um, so 1998, you had to announce your retirement from boxing. 
Uh, you finish with a record of 17-2-3, which is a very, very impressive record. And, and you know, there's a reason why you're a, a legend of the boxing world and Welsh boxing in particular. But, but um, do you remember the day, like, that you announced your retirement? Yeah, me and Joe, we shared, we shared the top of the bill at, uh, at, uh, at an event, at uh, a promotion in Cardiff. We both proceeded to win our world titles. And so now it's my retirement on our day from my own crowd. It was heartbreaking. It was actually what I wanted to say. I couldn't, just, I couldn't get it out what I wanted to say and I didn't tell him how much he needed to me. And I, I'm sorry, it was very, I wouldn't be defending my, my title. So, where did um, where did Robbie Regan go from there, from retiring in boxing? What was uh, what was next for you? Well, I just didn't know. You know, a lot of people are close to me, around me. You know, a lot of people disappear then. Um, I just went into myself, and I suffered with severe depression. My my family, my married then, and my family. And they suffered because I, I, I had to drink. And when I was drinking, to hide the pain also. And really, you know, you're not, you're not hiding nothing really, you know, you're just waking up with hangover and you feel like this still is what it is. It's worse yeah. Than hangover. Yeah. You just kind of feel worse, I suppose, with the hangover. Um, well, so you're drinking to, to numb the pain. But drink becomes an addiction. You're going out with your friends drinking. You think you know you're not you're not addicted, but your body craves that. And you you drinking more and more. And I just, I just hit the ball and and got very depressed. And I mean, my mind broke down over it. I lost over it. And that, that's that's the number of feeling and finishing boxing losing the shoulder. Why is that? Yeah, absolutely. I'm sure. Um... I'm sure it was because you know that's like the worst thing that can happen to you know to any any person any parent. Um, well, I need I needed help, you know. Um, not physical help. I needed mental help. I need I need I don't know counselling or whatever it took. But there was there was nothing there. There was nothing there to help you. You know, I didn't didn't think there was anything there to help me. You know. I th- I think back then it was different to what it is now, isn't it? I mean, there was there was help there in those days, but it wasn't as prominent as what it is now. Um, I, would, I wouldn't have known how to ask for help. I wouldn't, wouldn't yeah. think of I mean, that. You wouldn't think of that back in those days. So, so how did you it like eventually get through that period? Did you have to really hit? rock bottom to kind of yeah 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 you have great rock bottom you know to start climbing back up um my life was one best i was trying to not drink as much as i was i was still drinking but not like to the extent that i was um i met another i met a girl uh rachel i'm engaged to now um she helped me a lot, uh, and got we got two young kids, 
sword, you know, the sword. I've got that every, every big time in my life. Yeah, I think um, I'll, uh, I'll just take this quick opportunity to say as well, if anyone um, is affected by, you know, the mental health issues, issues with addiction, um, I've done shows discussing my own problems with um, with alcohol um, and I've done shows on addiction uh, and mental health issues. If you are suffering, um, there's always people who will help you. Um, there's always there's charities there's GPs. I'll put links in, you know, all uh, in the descriptions as I as I usually do when these uh, subjects come up. Uh, and I think I speak for everyone, Robbie, when I say that it's um, it's nice to see you look healthy. Um, obviously, where I was uh, like kind of researching the show and just looking into stuff, and I came across a a Wales Online um, article from a you know a while back. And you you didn't look that healthy there, but now you look you look healthy. And like when I was speaking to you, you you could tell like that you you're in a better place. Um, Absolutely, and I thank you for that. You know, um, I get lots 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 comments. You know, well, I look now, which is it's nice to know. And you know, you know, if you do that, pick up your ass as well. You know. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, one thing I wanted to ask you before we get into the the kind of the people's questions, as it were, um, the one thing I wanted to ask you is um, professional sportsmen, particularly fighters, but all professional sportsmen, not all, a lot of professional sportsmen, um, particularly boxers, when they retire, uh, maybe more so when it's enforced, but but sometimes when they just retire, you know, through natural age and whatever, they some do have uh, issues with alcohol or gambling or drugs or, you know, whatever it may be. Um, and I wanted to get your take on perhaps why you think that is, why, why do, you know, fighters or sportsmen, professional athletes struggle when they have to retire to, to, to adapt to day-to-day life? Yeah, and absolutely, and, and I think uh, that was more in boxing than any other sport. Um, uh, I can't speak for so much other other sports, men in different sports, but for boxers, you know, a lot of boxers don't retire with the kind of money that they should, you know, and that's just one issue. And there's also, you know, they got injuries that, that they, they don't know about. Um, Head injuries that that they may not know about, and you know they and they retreat for for lots of other reasons. It's, it's not going to help. Not going to help your condition, and um, you know there's a thing now with that. Finally, in boxing now, there's a there's a charge called inside wrestling case set up by ex-fighters, developed and ex-fighters who 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 are helping and looking after. Injured fighters or, or boxers falling on hard times, and they're doing a fantastic job. And they're trying to raise money now, hopefully, to get something like a 36 bedroom uh, building built where, where, they, where they can help these fighters and they can fight with job. That's fantastic. And I, I... God, you uh, carry on. 
I'm going on events from now on March 29th where a lot of champion fighters are coming along. The likes of former world champion Lee Selby, um, Liam Williams who's fighting for the middleweight title, Barry Jones, former world champion and Sky Pundit, Steve Robinson, um, myself, uh, Enzo McAnally, um, Rory Turley, former co-op champion, Gavin Gwynn who's fighting for the British title. Yeah. And Cody Day, one of Wazer's uh, brightest prospects. Um, Gavin Reese, former world champion, he's all coming along to the Valley Tavern on the 29th. Um, it's a sit-down meal and question answer and auction and entertainment after to raise money, rent, rest, inside rest and care. So anybody want a ticket, get in touch with me uh, via your Facebook. Yeah, I'll um, I'll put the the flyer which you sent me earlier. I'll put that in the description, and I'll also link your face. I'll link your Facebook pages and stuff so people can you know click the links and. Big, big thank you, Jason Jenkins and Melanie, who own the Valley Tavern and the Valley Tavern team. Who, who without them wouldn't be able to the show on. Yeah, absolutely, and I well, it's a fantastic, uh, fantastic charity and cause. Um, and I think that sort of help for, for for fighters, particularly, I think is long overdue, um, and it's fantastic now that they, you know, if hopefully touch wood, everything comes off and everything goes well, that that they'll have the facilities to 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 help those fighters, uh, you know, when they retire or when they when even if they're not retired and they find you know fighters who come across hard times for whatever reason, whether it's you know mental health or addiction whatever it may be if they've got somewhere somewhere which can help them you know you that's that's what we want okay um right then let's finish off with the the questions uh, which people sent in and then i can leave you to go to bed um just before i do i just wanted to say um a little quick word from our sponsor that this show is brought to you by away day apparel Visit awaydayapparel.co.uk for the latest clothes and offers with some of the big things planned for 2020. It's definitely worth following them on Twitter at awaydayapparel and Insta at awayday underscore apparel as uh, they look to revitalize the casual scene. Uh, And especially for Ace Podcast Nation uh, viewers and listeners, if you use the code AA Podcast Nation, you'll get 10% off all orders. Uh, That's AA Podcast Nation, all in lowercase. Okay, uh, so first question, which was from uh, Yayan Clowellen from Bournemouth. He says, uh, I represented Robbie Regan for his 2016 20th anniversary from when he won his world title in Monaco and Cardiff. Uh, and the question is, can you ask Robbie, is it true he's the only Welsh boxing world champion that has never felt the canvas in his professional career? Yeah, I think, but I, I know, as far as I, I know, and every, every person I know, have, I'm going to get being dropped. So, yes, for example, not combat. But, you know, as well as that's a great accolade, we should show well, some of the great champions we got to actually get off the combat and win um, the fight. Like, so, that takes some doing as well. Absolutely. Um. Uh, Alan Jones, who are our our mutual friend, who put us in uh, in touch, he said um, that uh, 
he had uh, aspired to be as good as you when he was training, uh, but you were a different le- level, and his uh, and your boxing knowledge is just simply incredible. Um, so there's no question there. Just a compliment for you. Thank you, Al. Yeah, he's a good man. He's a good man. Um, Brian Newman wants to know who taught you to body punch so good. Oh, Brian Newman. Um, from when I started, um, Brian was a hell of a talent, great fighter from Murta, and he was coming on the spa. Uh, and he was never very, very see how much of body punching. Brian was was an exceptional body puncher and he, he showed me and um how important body punching was but, but then i i watched my some of my favorite fighters way aspired to be like julio caesar chavez brian was a great body puncher like i said that chavez he was the greatest body puncher in history probably and you know you, you study them and try to copy what they do but i suppose brian was the one who Started me off. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Brian. Mm-hmm. They, um, do you know what? I when I do the, the the MMA and the combat sports shows with Danny Batten, um, we were talking recently about like just the importance of body shots, um, and like people perhaps who have never boxed or fought, they don't realize how much uh, like the body shots, whether there's punches in boxing or kicks in MMA, how much it takes out of you. Like a really good body shot can really do damage as the fight goes on longer and longer. Absolutely. You, you kill the body and the head dies. <laughs> I like that. I, li- I like that. That's a good one. See? Uh, uh, Harry Rudge said, uh, if you could have your career again, what would you do differently? Um, differently. Um titles I wouldn't have given up by my choice. Uh, uh, certain fights certain fights I, I will, wish I took. Um, yeah. There's a few things I would have done differently. Um, but at the end of the day um, I've had a lot more bigger regrets if I look back on my career and win the world title. Um, and someone else asked, do you wish that you had gone to America? Yeah, I had a chance to America. Um, I didn't play with titles. And when Dan Romero was in, injured at the time, he was a champion, come back, he was supposed to fight me for the world title. So I was interim champion, but Romero didn't box at our weight again. So I, I as interim champion, should be made full champion. But yeah. he wanted me to box now for the vacant where I should be, you know, made full champion. So I decided I wasn't going to fight for 50-50 first when I should be paying 60, when I should be paying 60-40. And I got offered the, the world title against him in Legend Ways then. So that's the reason I didn't go to America. But looking back now, I, I do regret it in a way because um, that's, you know, there's a lot of money to be made in America, and they, I know they will love my style and my way of fighting out there. I, I think it's been a big hit in America. Yeah, I agree with that. i got to say, I think they would have loved you. Um, 
Uh, Paul Spud Hepsworth wants to know, did you find my flick knife under your bed in Italy? We went in Italy when I was about 12. And I think, I don't know, I might have been too flick knife. I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Uh, Smithy says, uh, Robbie Regan never needed a weapon. His weapon was his fitness, his strength, and his power. Beast mode, the one and only world champ, Robbie Regan. So, uh, again, just compliments. And I, 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 the reason I'm reading some of the compliments, and I say it's not all of them, it's just some of them, it's because. It's because I want I wanted you to make sure I wanted to make sure you saw them all or heard them all and realised just how much people think of you. Um, the Ginger Ninja says, uh, "No questions, only a statement." You did us all proud, champ. Um, okay, so I've got a couple of others, and then I'll leave you go bed. Um, what's the favourite? What's your favourite boxing uh, boxing match? That you've ever watched, not involving you. I got a couple, you know, the most fights. You know, it's got the Barrera and Moran. Um, some of the old fights, uh, Gomez against Wilfredo Gomez against Lupe Pinta, who beat Johnny Owen. Um, that was a great fight. Um, Think now, off the top of my head. Uh, mm-hmm. and was, yeah, Lupe Pinta against Wilfredo Gomez. I hear it. Okay. Uh, was there any Welsh boxers that you looked up to as a young man? Who inspired me? Yeah. Um. Julio Cesar Chavez was one of my big heroes. Um, Marvin Agla, Serena uh, Um But the greatest out from the years, Scott Greatest is Ali. Oh, not just what he's done in boxing, but outside the ring as well. To me, he's the greatest man who ever walked the earth. Yeah, fair. I think that's a f- fair comment. Absolutely. Um, was there any Welsh boxers which you uh, kind of like looked up to or? Admired. Pardon? Was there any Welsh boxers who you looked up to? Boxers. No Welsh box. Welsh boxers that you looked up to. Uh yeah. Um, my two favourite Welsh boxers. Um, I've got to be. Uh, obviously Joe's a great fighter, but my. My favorite fighters are Howard Winston, the Welsh Wizard, you know, the legend Howard Winston. And to me, probably the greatest work was Jimmy White, who was the guy that was my weight. And I think he went something like, first of all, London, seven fights unbeaten. And he fought it in New York, York um, you know, and in the American Hall of Fame as the greatest flyweight of all time. Wow. In the world. So that's Just unbelievable. Um, what was your favourite fight that you took part in? My favourite fight. I, 
obviously winning the world title is, is your dream come true. Um, you gain in the title from France that with um, four forwards, that was sweet. Um, probably blowing Danny, Danny Porter away in three rounds because no one expected that. And he thought it was going to be a tough, tough fight for me. Wow. Oof. It is, yeah. I hope you had a bet on yourself. Never bet on myself. I'm so caught up and caught about fight. I didn't think of it. The promoter, everyone, the body has won a lot of money on me. I never thought about it. Yeah. I'm so caught up in the moment. Nightmare. Okay, last couple. Uh, where do you think you would rank in today's boxing? Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, like we're going to bomb the way you guys are. I do that in the way you're causing the film. There's no one, there's no one in the way you would worry me today. No, not in my way. I agree. i got to say, I, I, yeah, I agree completely. Um, and last question... Uh, who do you think will be the next Welsh superstar boxer? Um, um, got a couple of couple of rules on world title Ian Williams is fighting for the world title, and I think his last couple of performances, I've seen him improved hell of a lot. I think he could be the next Welsh Welsh world champion. Joe Cordine has a great prospect. I think you know he's he's capable. A world title. Um, you know, Welsh boxing is, is in a very place at the moment. It is, yeah. Welsh, Welsh combat sports overall is just phenomenal shape. And I do feel like we could have multiple world champions with a bit of luck in a couple of years in both MMA and boxing. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Robbie. I thank you for your time, my friend. I really appreciate you giving me so much of your time and so late as well. Um, I will say, put links to your Facebook in the bottom of the description for the episode so that people can contact you about that charity night. And uh, guys, if you can share this episode, subscribe to the YouTube channel, which is youtube.com slash Nation. Um, and just help us spread the word as we keep growing and we keep getting these fantastic guests giving us their time to tell their story and to take part in the episode. I appreciate you all for downloading and viewing. I appreciate Robbie and I appreciate everything which we've, uh, we've talked about and got, and uh, we will see you for the next episode of my story. And we'll see you for the next episode of Ace Podcast Nation. Don't forget. Gone. I just, I just like to finish this film. I just like to thank all my fans then and now for the, the tremendous support they gave me. You know, they made my fight night electric. You know, memories I'll cherish forever. And if it wasn't for the, uh, I'm just glad and happy that I could return their faith in me and bring the world titles away. And peace of my world championship belongs to each and every one of them. And love and best wishes for always. I think that's a perfect way to finish, my friend.
Social Podcast Network.